I'm so excited to get to share with you the message that God has put on my heart. I want you to open up your sermon notes, if you would, and we're going to look at quite a few passages, but I want to talk to you today about what Jesus said really matters. In fact, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the only two things that Jesus said are the most important things out there. And what is it? It's love God and love each other. I read this week an article about a kindergarten teacher, and uh, this is kind of a, a story for some of you teachers as you're getting back, especially if you, if you teach in those young grades, but she said it was a cold day outside, and for some reason, the kids had all taken their, their shoes off for like some kind of a, they were reading or something, and it was just supposed to be relaxed, and then it's the end of the day, so this little boy's trying to get his boots on, and she could see that he's having a struggle, so she goes over to help him. And she said she couldn't believe, I mean, the boots just it, it hardly seemed to fit. And she said by the time they finally got those boots on, him pushing, her pulling, and, and, and trying to get on, she would already worked up a sweat. And finally got him on, she went, <sighs> like that. And he looked and he said, teacher, these boots are on the wrong feet. <laughs> and she looked down, and sure enough, they were on the wrong foot. So she tried to, she said they were about as hard to get off as they were to get on. So she finally was able to pull them off and then, Switch feet, get them back on, make sure they're on the right feet. And then he said, teacher, these are not my boots. <laughs> she said she almost cried at that point because, uh, you know, and she's just sweating profusely already. So she pulls them back off. And as soon as she gets them off, he says, these are my brother's boots. My, my mom made me wear them today. She said she was about to scream, but she did really well, you know. So she just worked again to get those little boots back on. Finally got them on and put on his little jacket. And she said, now where are your mittens? They're in the toes of my boots. <laughs> the article ended by saying her trial starts next week. But I, I think that was sarcasm. Um, you know, it's difficult working with those little kids, teachers, and you need to pray for your child's kindergarten teacher. But I want to tell you something even more frustrating, what God has to do when he deals with us. Can you just imagine? I mean, I don't understand how God has any patience with you at all, with me at all, when you think about it. And I was thinking how frustrating it must be for God as he's given us in those, you know, he created this, this whole thing and he gave us this, this perfect paradise and yet we chose so poorly and we fell. And I was thinking all the way back to that, that book of Genesis because I think that it, it helps us to kind of get a feel for what we're going to talk about today. You remember Adam and Eve ate of that apple and, or whatever it was, the fruit it says. And, and when they did that, Sin came in being. It came into the world. Now, philosophers have tried to figure out our world for so long. They've tried to figure out, you know, why are we like we are? And if you don't understand the third chapter of Genesis, where it talks about what happened with us, then you won't see the world clearly. You're not going to understand the world as it really is because that third chapter of Genesis is truth it's letting us know what really happened it, you see 
Man did not evolve physically and psychologically over millions of years into this thing that we are today. Man fell in one day, in one moment, in one moment of time, we fell into the state that we're in today. And if we don't understand that, then we're not going to understand how the universe works. Adam and Eve, when they, when they pulled that rock from under the mountain, uh, uh, you know, and they didn't realize what they were doing, it, the whole avalanche of sin that came down up on them and buried not only them, but every one of their descendants forever. And so here they are, they've, they've eaten of the fruit, they've sinned, they've fallen, suddenly they, they know sin, not just academically, they know it deep in their being because it has invaded their very soul and they're ashamed for the very first time. Shame. Shame comes into the world and all the things we deal with that. But it's so interesting because in the book of Genesis, God, having seen all of that, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it says this. They heard the sound. This is after all of this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And I think he's still asking that. You see, the question really wasn't where are you? I mean, there's Adam and Eve and, and they don't, I mean, it's, you, you've seen the old Charlie Brown cartoons and it's Charlie Brown hiding behind a tree, you know, and his big round head is sticking out on both sides. That's probably what it was like to God where Adam and Eve are trying to hide from. He knows exactly where they are. But he's asking them deep inside of you, where are you? I haven't forgotten you. See, God could have come and just said, I told you if you did this, I was going to wipe you out. You're gone. I told you if you did this, you're going to surely die. You're a pile of dust right now. But that's not what God does. Yeah, the ramifications of sin have been snowballing in, in, in this giant snowball of an avalanche coming down upon us. And, and we're dealing with that as the human race and that's how we can understand what's going on around us but God still in the midst of it is calling out to us where are you it's interesting that it said he came in the cool of the day it literally means in the evening breezes in the in, in the garden of Eden there must have been some cool breezes that would come through every night and then that it seems like it was God's custom he would come and walk with the man and the woman in the cool breezes of the day. Did God need cool breezes? No, he didn't need it. He was doing it for us. He's always so thoughtful toward us. See, we were meant to fellowship with God. We were meant to know God deep inside and to walk with him. And like Robin just saying, he's always there. If we just realize it, he's always around. He's always Right there. Let's go forward to Jesus' time. And one of the religious group has come up to him. Who, they're always trying to trick him. They're always trying to trip him up. They're always trying to get him to say something that they can use against him. And it says this in Matthew 22, 35 through 40. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, the law of Moses, 
tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Basically, he's saying everything that God said all through the Old Testament hangs on this. These are what you do. If you do these two things, you get it. You've done it. It's so simple. It's really not that hard. It's not complicated, but we don't do it. So over these next two weeks, I want to dig into this and find out how to love God and how to love your neighbor, how we love each other. And so let's talk this morning about loving God. I want us again to skip through the Bible all the way to the end, to the book of Revelation. I think that in the book of Revelation, when God talks to the churches, Jesus speaks to John to the churches, and Jesus is saying something. I think he has some amazing things to say. If you ever want to understand more of what God's trying to say to us today, you can read what he says to each of those churches in the early part of Revelation. But in Revelation chapter 3, I just want to read you what he says to the church in Laodicea because I think it helps us to understand a little bit. So in the city of Laodicea, there's a church and Jesus speaks to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Right. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourselves that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a, an amazing passage, really. You know, when you think about it, there are a few things that are more disagreeable than lukewarm drinks. I, I, those of you who love the hot coffee out there, I want you to imagine this morning, you know, you went and you said, oh, I'm going to get the Nicaraguan coffee. Did you notice that all the coffee comes from places where we're working around the globe? That's what I love about that coffee out there, you know, whether you like Burundian or, or Nicaraguan or Whatever, and, and so uh, somebody's going like, I wish they'd work in Colombia, you know, get some Colombia. But when you get that and you, you know, pour it, put your creamer in it or whatever you do, and just imagine, what if it was tepid? What if it was lukewarm? I mean, you just want to spit it out right there, wouldn't you? I mean, that's like the worst thing. It would be better if it was a cold coffee. 
Some of you like those, you know, you go to Starbucks and get ice in your coffee. Some of you like that even better than the hot. But Jesus is going, there's nothing worse than lukewarm. Nobody wants lukewarm. And he doesn't want us to be lukewarm toward him. And in this seventh letter to the churches, it's so interesting because I think that God is trying to tell us some things about what he believes we need to understand and what he believes that we need to know. And in this, he, he's, he's saying, let me tell you a little about myself first. He said, I'm the amen. That's an interesting thing. You know, what, is, what does amen even mean? Doesn't it just mean over and out? Isn't that what it means? Like, I'm done with my prayer? No, it means so be it, literally. So be it. You thought it just meant, okay, I'm done now. We can eat. Or, you know, I can look up now. They stopped praying. I just want to make sure you know I'm at the end of my prayer. Amen. No, period. That's not what it means. It means let it be so. Let it be done. And when the prophets in the Old Testament would speak a prophecy, they would close it by saying, amen, let it be so. It's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Jesus used amen a lot in the New Testament. It's not translated amen because it wouldn't make sense really to us. But it's, it's truly, truly I say to you, or if you have King James, verily, verily I say to you, that was amen, amen, I say to you. That's what he literally said. Amen, amen, I say to you, this is true. This is right. This is something you really need to stand up and listen hard to because this is going to be the truth. And he goes on to underscore that fact by saying, I'm the amen, I'm the faithful and true witness. You know, one of the things that you have to love about Jesus is he always told the truth. It cost him. People hated him. They wanted to crucify him because he always spoke the truth. He didn't pull any punches. Now, I think he loved when he did it. He did it in love, but, but he would speak truth and sometimes really harsh truth. It, it kind of reminds me of when Laura and I, we went to Costa Rica first for a year just to be immersed in Spanish, for me to learn Spanish, for her to remember the Spanish that she had already learned in school. And, you know, I, I started out, oh, so slow in Spanish, you know. I remember I, I went up to the first guy I, I met. I was after just a few days of Spanish, and, and I said, me llamo Marco. Como te llamas? And he went, Joe? And I said, good to meet you, Joe. I'm so glad to, to know you, which if you know any Spanish, he's going, me, you know, and, and, and that was how I started out, you know, so sometimes along the way, I would try to just get uh, some compliments to make me feel a little better, and I, with the Costa Rican people, they're so, they're so complimentary, and I, I would just say, you know, I don't speak very good Spanish, you know, no hablo muy bien, and they would go, no, no, you're, you're so understandable. And, 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 you know, I just got everything that you just said. And you're, I can't believe in this short of time, you're, you're so amazing. And so it would kind of get me going again, you know. And then we went to Mexico City from there after a year of Spanish. And, and, and so get hit Mexico City. And, I mean, after a couple of months, I was kind of down again. So I tried with my Mexican friends, you know. I really don't speak that good. I wish I could speak better and. You know what they said? No, you really don't. (laughs) 
I'm not even sure what you just said. <laughs> My Mexican friends were very honest about everything all of the time with me, you know? And, and that's one of the things I love about Mexicans. It's like, you've gained some weight, <laughs> you know? I remember the little kids in, in, in La Carpio, even when we went back to Costa Rica, they reminded me, they had come from Nicaragua, and Nicaraguans are very honest too. It's only the Costa Ricans that lie, I guess. But, you know, the Nicaraguans were so, and, and so they used to always call me Pelon. El Pelon, he's back, you know, which means the bald guy, which I was pretty good with until the day that I came back and they say, El Panzon which means the big tummy. <laughs> that didn't go as well with me, but you know, it, it, it's, it's honesty. Jesus is honest. He's always, aren't you glad he speaks truth? And he's gonna speak truth to you. He's gonna tell you exactly what's true. And so he says, I'm getting ready to tell you something. It's gonna be a little hard to take, but I, I need you to hear it. He goes on to say, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. Now, some people have had trouble with this. Jehovah Witness, uh, for example, say that Jesus was created by God. It says it right there. That's not what it's really saying. It looks like it, but that's not what Jesus is trying to say. It could be better translated the origin of the creation of God, but I think he's trying to say something with the word beginning here. Because, see, he is the one who created the universe. He created the old creation, the galaxies, and he created the universe, and he created the planetary system and the, and the earth itself. That was Jesus creating, but there's also a new creation that he's beginning. Do you know what the new creation is? You. You. Did you know that? Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, part of the new creation. And then it goes on to say, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, the thing about God is he's always creating. He never stopped creating. Now, he stopped creating on our planet he stopped and when he finished, he said, it is good. But he's not ever stopped creating in heaven. He says, I go and I'm preparing a place for you. And it's, can you imagine what heaven's going to look like as God is still creating? Now, I'm hoping that the streets of gold don't look like 290 because he's working on them, you know. But I don't think that's what it means. I think it just means this is going to be amazing because he's spending all this time creating heaven. And I think he also is trying to tell us, look, if you're not going to be lukewarm, let me tell you what you need to understand. All of these things in your life that would cause you to be tepid, that would cause you to be lukewarm, that would cause you to misunderstand me and what I'm doing in your life to the point that you just kind of pull back and go like, I don't know if it's worth it, you know? I don't know if this is worth it. I, I, maybe I'll just kind of come to church and kind of sit and soak a little bit, but I, I, I don't know about more than that. He said, you need to understand that I'm still creating. I'm not finished yet. And his life and death and resurrection were the beginning of a new creation. You. Created 
to be the bride and the companion of Christ, ruling and reigning with him forever. We're going to see at the end of this passage that we're to sit on the throne with him. But it means that we must commit everything. And in every circumstance that come in comes into our life, we, we've got to understand and know that this is boot camp, that he's working on us, that he's preparing us, that he's creating us right now. See, Jesus is the beginning of God's new creation, you, made to rule and reign. He goes on and he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Now, the background of Laodicea helps us to understand this a little bit because you see, what, the, what happens is Laodicea is in this tri-city area. There's Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. And Laodicea doesn't have its own uh, water source. It doesn't have a water. It's crazy because back in that day, usually they would build a city around a big spring or something. So they would always have a water source. But they don't even have a water source. And so they have to... They used aqueducts, the Roman aqueducts, and they would pipe their water in from Colossae and from Hierapolis. Colossae was six miles away. Hierapolis was nine miles away. And they would get the water from there. Now, Colossae had cold springs, and they would pipe that cold water the six miles from Colossae. And then Hierapolis had hot springs, and they would pipe through those aqueducts the, the hot water for nine miles but here's the thing about it. Cold water going for six miles through an aqueduct ends up lukewarm by the time it gets there, right? And hot water going for nine miles ends up lukewarm by the time it gets there. So the city of Laodicea always had lukewarm water. It, 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 that was just what you drink, you know, and they didn't have the refrigeration process or, or, or the ways to make it cold. So you just had lukewarm water and people hated the water in Laodicea. Everything about Laodicea was amazing except the water. Have you ever been to a place that had bad water? Any of you from Slidell, Louisiana? I, I remember even as a teenager going to Slidell, no one ever raises their hand. I don't know why, but... I went there as a teenager, and oh, the water, it was, it came out of that lake, I guess. I don't know, but it, it, it's, it's right there on, on the big swampy lake, and, and, and the water was just horrible. And I'll never forget it, but that's the water of Laodicea. And, and, and Jesus says, it's lukewarm. And then he says something startling. He says, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot, the word hot there is literally zestos, which is boiling. It's the only time it's used in the scripture, you're not boiling for me, you're not on fire for me, or cold, far from me, you're lukewarm. And it makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. And the word spit there is very polite. That's not the real, trend. it really means puke. You make me sick. Jesus is always gonna tell us the truth, isn't he? And he doesn't pull any punches. You see, in the Bible, there are three possible heart temperatures. Luke 24, 32 describes burning hearts. It says, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures to us? Matthew 24, 12 describes a cold heart. It says, because of an increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. And then Jesus here says, there's the lukewarm heart. 
But he says, that's the worst heart. That's the worst one. I'd rather you be cold. Wow. You know what? When I, I used to do uh, marriage counseling. I don't get to do it anymore because we got these amazing counselors that are better than me. But when I used to do that, I would always understand that if someone was, you know, in a relationship and they were really had that hot heart toward each other, that was a really good thing. Sometimes, though, if they were even cold, maybe a cold, a cold burning anger in a sense, there was still some hope. But you know where there was no hope? Like if the wife was lukewarm, like she was going like, whatever. I'm pretty much, I'm, I mean, I'm not pretty much, I'm just done. I'm just fine. I'll be here and I'll listen to you. But, you know, it's done. He's fine. I, I'm fine with him. Whatever, go have a happy life, dude. You know? That was the, it was like, it was done. I think the reason why Jesus hates lukewarmness more than anything else is because of how it affects the next generation. They did so many studies of churched and unchurched families. And you know what they found? They found that if someone is involved in church and they're like on fire for God and they're like praying and they're seeing God work in their life and, and as a husband and wife or even as a single parent, they're, they're just seeking after God really hard that there's a really good chance that the majority of their kids are going to follow after God. Now, every kid has a choice and it doesn't always happen that way. But even in the studies, they found that many of the children later in life, even if they got away, they would come back around because they had seen something real in their parents. And they also found that the chances of someone that came into the church that had parents that were far from God, even if they were atheist or agnostic or far from God, they would have a really good chance of hearing the truth and stepping in. But one of the crazy things about the study was that if the mom, dad, the couple together... If they were lukewarm, if they just kind of came to church and kind of did some churchy things and said some churchy things and would talk about some scripture, you know, sometimes, but it didn't ever even affect their life at all, the kids were far from God and stayed far from God. Because they'd kind of been inoculated to kind of something that wasn't hot. It was just lukewarm. They'd been inoculated. Well, see, I don't really think there's anything to it because I saw my parents practice it, even though they didn't realize that wasn't real Christianity. And they don't want anything to do with it. Jesus kind of is talking about that because he says, you know, you say in verse 17, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What a difference between you say and you are. And that's part of lukewarm. You know, I can say all these things, but what am I really? What does it look like in practice? What does it look like in my life? How is it working out? The faithful and true witness is talking and he tells us the truth. How could these people have such a, a different idea of themselves than Jesus had them? It's because they had two different standards. Let me give you an example. On a cold winter's night, I could say to you it's 32 above zero when I look at a thermometer and then you could look at a different thermometer and say no it says that it's zero no it's 32 above zero no it's zero why one's Fahrenheit and one's Celsius they're two different ways of measuring that's what was happening here they were measuring themselves by the world around them 
by their own ideals of, uh, of who they were and what. And Jesus is saying, I'm using a true measure. I'm using the measure of what matters and what's going to count and how it's going to be like when it all winds up at the end of time, what it's going to look like. So they said, I'm wonderful. And he said, you're wretched. And they said, we're amazing. And he said, you're miserable. And they said, we're rich. And he said, you're poor and blind and naked. And then he goes on. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. This is interesting because he's talking like he starts talking as a parent here. If I love you, if you're my child, I'm going to work on you and I'm going to discipline you. Now, he didn't say punish. He said, I reprove. Come on, you can, we can do this. This is not the direction. And I'm going to discipline you. And discipline sometimes comes into our life from God if we start to get away from him as a believer. You know the most miserable people in the world? People that have really stepped into the journey with Christ and then try to run off. Because he's going to discipline you to bring you back. And if you can just get far from God and you don't feel anything from God, you never stepped into a relationship with God. Because he always does that with his children. And then he says, the verse that's been taken out of context millions of times, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with them and they with me. And we've used that so many times to say, ask Jesus to come into your heart. That's not what he says. He's talking to the church. He's saying, somehow I've gotten pushed to the periphery. Even in all that you're doing in your life and in your church. And, and I'm, I'm knocking. I'm outside on the periphery of your life, believer. Knocking. And, and, and if you'll let me in. This is full circle all the way back to Genesis here. He's saying my original plan for you. And now as I'm making you a new creation. I'm not going to let it be thwarted. Now it's only going to be for a small remnant of humanity. Those who choose to do this, open the door and let me walk with them. And he says, and here's what's going to happen. He who overcomes, interesting word, nikao in the Greek. And it truly means to overcome, to be victorious. He says, to he, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame, nikao, and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, you understand he's using the generic he, ladies, here. This is for all of us. I was looking to see where other places where nikao was used. And it's used in Revelation 12, 11. In the book of Revelation, it tells about the great end of time that we're coming toward. And it says there's not going to be a place for Christians to hide in the end time. And it's going to be a very anti-Christian world. It's going to be a world that begins to have like a, a, a global thing against Christianity. Do you see anything forming like that at all? But it, it, it's going to be this, this day and it says that many will die. Many will be beheaded. Which is interesting because they used to always think, you know, just like even 40, 50 years ago. What are they going to do? Bring back the French guillotine and stuff like that? But no, there's people that are beheading today. There's a certain group, right? And they are not fans of Christianity. And some have begun to wonder how that all comes together. But it says this. 
even those that were killed, and they nikao, they overcame Satan because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. We're saying they were full out committed. They didn't renounce Jesus. Even when they said, we're going to cut your head off if you don't renounce Jesus. Another place in the very last part of Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 through 8. John says, Jesus said to me, it is done. I am Alpha. I am Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who nikao are victorious, same word, overcome, will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Well, how do we overcome? How do we do this? I want you to go back to verse 18 just for a minute of the passage that I read to you earlier. It says this. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Well, that's good, Jesus. I, I don't understand You say, buy these things from you? I mean, how do I do that? And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You see, back in this time, you didn't just buy with money. There was a whole barter system. Sometimes you would buy with your time. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, you don't buy this with money. You buy this by us spending time together as you invite me into the very center of your life and I come in and dine and when they dined together that was such a fellowship time it would last for hours and they would just spend time together he says as you know me as you put me at the center of your life as you walk with me as you begin to love my word and my principles you're going to learn all you're going to buy from me gold refined by fire not the stuff that passes away today not the monopoly money that you're playing with for a little while and then you put it back in the box and hand it off to your kids you know as you go in the box he's saying this is the real stuff it brings me to Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 through 3 God talking he says if you're thirsty come here come there's water for all whoever is poor and penniless can still come and buy the food I sell. Again, you don't have any money, obviously, right? There's no cost. Here, have some food, hearty and delicious, beverages, pure and good. I don't understand why you spend your money for things that don't nourish or work so hard for what ends up leaving you empty. Attend to me, spend time with me, and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest most delectable of things. Listen closely and come even closer. My words will give life for I will make a covenant with you that cannot be broken. A promise of what? Of my enduring presence and support. 